Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, December the 9th, 2022. The news isn't good. Seems as if COVID is back. Um, in China, the end of COVID zero, according to Bloomberg, threatens to overwhelm China with infections. Um, and this is getting mixed up with the political demonstration against the Xi regime. We've had a number of shows on that. Meanwhile, in America, the Atlantic reports that uh, we're on the brink of another COVID surge where I am in, uh, in the Bay Area, uh, in California, Northern California. Masks are now once again required in parts of Alameda County in the East Bay. And the cases are soaring both in San Francisco and Los Angeles. We haven't done a show, touch wood, on COVID recently, but uh, it's back in the news. And one new book um, that covers COVID, maybe not in the very short term, but in a broader context, uh, is the book with discussing today Stephen Barushka. He's a health expert based in Seattle. He has a new book out, Inequality Kills Us All, COVID-19's Health Lessons for the World. But before we get to those lessons, Stephen's joining us, as I said, from uh, Seattle. Stephen, um, what's your take on the situation with COVID uh, on Friday, uh, December 9th, 2022? Well, I, I think we have to take a long-term perspective. Uh, the subtitle in my book is COVID-19's Health Lessons for the World. And we have to begin by recognizing that uh, the United States has all, uh, over a million uh, deaths from the, uh, from the virus and uh, leads the world in number of deaths. And in terms of the proportion of the population who have died, uh, the number is somewhere in the top 10 or, or 20. China, whom you mentioned, uh, they've had five or 6,000 deaths so far. And they have a population more than three times ours. So uh, whether or not uh, the lockdown is, uh, is going to continue, and there's some doubt about that, certainly they've done something much better than we have to contain the number of deaths from the virus. Stephen, those numbers sound, I have to admit, and I'm anything but an expert here, somewhat fishy. Do you trust the Chinese that only 6,000 people have died of COVID when the disease, uh, when the pandemic began there? I mean, they aren't always that trustworthy with their numbers, are they? Sure, I agree. Uh, so let's make it 10 times that. Uh, make it 100,000. Uh, it's certainly not a million or we'd have many, you know, deaths are very hard to cover up. The reason that I said inequality kills us all as our title is that I worked as an emergency physician uh, for 30 years. And the easiest diagnosis I could make in the emergency department was that somebody was dead. If that was, that, it was obvious. Then I had to fill out a death certificate and that death certificate would be sent to the state and they would link that to the birth certificate and figure out how, how, many, how old that person was when he died. I, of course, 
wrote down that information, but uh, they have better records than uh, a personal recall. So um, a million deaths. I mean, we had so many stories of our hospitals being overwhelmed, of uh, uh, people working in them being uh, 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 burned out. And we didn't hear those kinds of stories from China. Now, it's not, it's true, the internet is very different in China than, than here. Uh, I have students who come here from China uh, to go to school. Uh, they certainly learn more about their country than... Uh, yeah, they... but let, let's, uh, I take your point, although, again, I'm not necessarily particularly convinced. The, the, sub, the, the title of your book is Inequality Kills Us All. Um, China is as unequal, if not more of an unequal society in the United States, isn't it? So, so how would you explain why there have been so many fewer deaths in China than there have in the U.S.? Okay, so an important point. We, um, we have studies that began uh, certainly in, by the end of 2020 showing that within the United States, states with more income inequality had more deaths from COVID. We have studies among 84 countries that show the same thing. Now, uh, so we're talking about income inequality measures which you can get from various sources. And again, you can always ask with any data, uh, how reliable are they? You know, I sometimes quip 64% of all statistics are made up on the spot. But I think we have to agree that United States has been overwhelmed by COVID deaths. And we have many studies showing that there are links to inequality. So then you have to ask the question, well, does association imply causation? Well, in the book, I you're, you're avoiding my question, Stephen. What about China? China is even more unequal than the United States. It's a country with, I think, there are more billionaires in China than there are in the U.S. And in, in, incredibly radical contrast between the hyper-rich and the poor. So, so how would you explain that? So I, I can't. Let me be honest. I, um, the inequality health relationship has been most studied in rich countries. And we have some studies, we have a couple of studies within China that show the relationship. But when you factor in COVID, um, at the present time, we don't have studies. So uh, I, I, I'm really glad that you asked that question. You always have to figure out what doesn't fit in with the picture that you're presenting. And let's, uh, so I'm always a bit suspicious of these kind of books because I always, I'm always guessing that there's a, a broader political message. Um, you say that deaths in, let's just talk about the United States then, deaths uh, are much more pronounced in states which are more unequal. Could you, could you give me some examples of the best and the worst states when it comes at US states when it comes to, to, to COVID deaths? Um, well, among the worst have been um, states in the Southeast, and the best have been, well, probably the smallest number of deaths uh, on a per capita basis have been in Hawaii. Hawaii is a relative, has pretty impressive, uh, is not anywhere near our most unequal state, and the 
state health department, so let's take the Department of Health in Hawaii, they wrote a report on a social determinants of health in Hawaii, and on page two, uh, they explained what, they, what the factors were that produced health within Hawaii. And they used a, a, a mountainside graphic. I, I'm not going to be able to... No, that, it looks good for people just listening. Stephen's waving a, a mountainside well, graphic. But On page two, they had a graphic of a common geographical uh, feature in Hawaii, namely a, a mountain ridge, a waterfall from the ridge, uh, a river flowing into the ocean. And they put on the ocean... Um, the chronic diseases that we suffer from, diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, cancers. And then they put on the shore, so that the diseases are in the water on the ocean. On the shore, they put the traditional risk factors, behaviors, smoking, lack of exercise, diet. On the other side of the river, they put health care. So they put healthcare as a rather downstream factor uh, affecting health. Then where the waterfall was were what are traditionally called the social determinants of health, income, poverty, racism, environment, and so on. There's a whole list of them there. Then above that was socioeconomic conditions, and above that was political context and governance. In other words, Hawaii, the Department of Health there, put political context and governance as the most important determinant of health. But, uh, then, okay, so I take your point, but the title of your book is Inequality Kills Us All. Wouldn't it be fair to say that in the Southeast, uh, one reason why there'd be more deaths there is because of poverty, not inequality. I mean, California is a profoundly inegalitarian state, but it's not one of the leading um, states in terms of COVID deaths. So isn't it more associated with poverty in the United States or poor states versus unequal states? Well, poverty is sort of the sibling of inequality. If everyone is poor, but they have all the necessities for life, then no one is. But we have a lot of poverty in this country uh, there's a variety of different measures of it. Uh, some international comparisons show us having more poverty than any other rich country. We also have more inequality than any other rich country. And so uh, those are two nails on the coffin, inequality and poverty, and consider them uh, siblings. They're, they're brother and sister. Uh, okay, so let, let's say you're... you're book probably should be called Inequality and Poverty Kills Us All. What is it about poverty that makes poor people more vulnerable? Is it ignorance? Is it lifestyle? Is it access to health care? So um, if you take uh, people who are poor and you look at the physiology inside their body, you will find differences. I'm not talking from a Malthusian perspective. I'm just looking at, for example, lung function. If you take one way to measure lung function is to take a deep breath, is to blow all your air out, take a deep breath and blow it out as fast as you can. The faster you blow it out, the healthier your lung. 
It's a very easy test to do because it's non-invasive and all you got to do is cup your lips around a spirometer and, and blow all the air out. Poorer people blow out less air in one second than richer people. It's true in the United States. Study has looked at 27 countries around the world and that's pretty universal. Now that's just the, the lung. Uh, the lung is easy to measure its function, but if you measure functions of other organs, they show the same thing. Poorer people have poorer functioning organs. Yeah, but you're not answering my question. Why? Okay, so there's something about poverty, and especially poverty in early life, that through a variety of epigenetic mechanisms gets written into how our genes express themselves. Do our genes shout or do they whisper? And that is determined by the physical and social environment, especially in early life, that conditions those who's, who have poor parents, for example, to have poorer physiology, poorer functioning lungs, to use the example that I, uh, that I brought up. And that's true across the board. Now, I, I speak of this as a generality. There are going to be some poor people who live uh, very long lives and, uh, and are healthy, but that's not the average. And so we have to sort of look at the condition of poverty and what that does to health. And what about cause and effect when it comes to poverty and health? Now, you okay. could argue, and it's been done, that uh, because of the misery of poverty, uh, people smoke more, they drink more, they eat worse. That's um, is this a cause or effect of poverty? Some people might argue, 19th century novelists like Emile Zola seem to suggest in some of his novels that poor people just have more fun. They're not worried about their health. They enjoy themselves. They drink, they smoke, they have a lot of sex, and then they die, and that's the end of it. <laughs> um, I'm Okay, if you look at uh, you said, you know, they, they do all these things to be happy. Happiness is uh, really not very high among poorer people. That's been well studied. Uh, you know, happiness, happiness is, of course, harder to measure than something like lung function. But just asking people how happy they are, there's a socioeconomic gradient in that. And the richer, you know, up to a certain point, the more money you have, uh, the happier you are, but that sort of uh, plateaus around uh, fifty to $100,000. Daniel Kahneman, who won a Nobel Prize for studying this, uh, you know, he'll agree that you know, above a certain level, more money doesn't buy you more happiness. Stephen, <laughs> I'm always suspecting with these kind of arguments that you're, you're trying to make America into Denmark, which might be a, a noble idea, maybe attractive, uh, but isn't very realistic. Is that what you're trying to do? I'm sure the Danes have a very good record on, on the COVID front, as, as the Koreans do, um, as the Taiwanese do. Uh, but America isn't Taiwan. America isn't Denmark. So, so what's the point here? What are you suggesting in the book? So I'm suggesting that um, because of the incredible inequality that we seem to increase, uh, especially with the pandemic, that this is not 
this is not helping us cope. So how does inequality um, make the risk factors for COVID worse? Well, people are going, you know, a lot of people are saying, I don't want the government telling me what to do. I don't trust the government. I'm going to do what I want and I'm not going to mask. I'm not going to get uh, a vaccine uh, and I'm going to just go out in public and, uh, uh, and not take precautions. And we do a lot of that. I mean, our behaviors, uh, you know, part of the reason why China has done so well is their lockdowns. Now, they're coming to the end of that and uh, we'll see. But it's what not happens. particularly popular. I'm not sure if it also necessarily reflects wealth or poverty or inequality. All Chinese people obey the law because if they don't, they go to jail or they're beaten up by the police. I mean, one of the things about America that's so intriguing and confusing, and we've touched on this on many shows, on many levels, is it seems to be the poor, perhaps, who are most suspicious of science, who are most sympathetic to the anti-masking, anti vaxxer ideology I, I wonder why that is is it simply because they're more ignorant are they more susceptible to populism um i can't give a ready-made answer for that well, so. you've written this book Stephen. i mean isn't that the core of it i mean if you choose not to get a vaccine if you choose not to wear a mask in public you're much more likely to get sick and as you've suggested, and I'm sure there's some truth to this, I mean, you, you've done your research, is it's more likely amongst poor Americans, particularly it would seem poor white Americans. Yes, yes. Um, so, um, Angus Deaton and, uh, and uh, his wife, Annie Case. Uh, yeah. Who's been on the show? Angus has been on the show. Okay. Coined the term deaths of despair. What's happening in the United States that poor that white white Americans uh, in their middle ages, 40s, 50s, are actually not seeing that before the, the pandemic, we're not seeing the health improvements uh, that people similar age in other countries were. And especially those who were lower income, working in meaningless jobs or not having any jobs. Uh, they saw themselves uh, as not achieving the American dream and so uh, took up behaviors uh, like drinking and dying from alcohol-related diseases and, uh, and other drugs. I mean, we consume three quarters of the world's opioids in this country to help assuage our despair and, and die from it. So that is related to something toxic about living in the United States. So how do we, uh, you know, I, 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 I agree with some of the things you're saying and they're, I don't think they're particularly controversial. Given that you're arguing that the causes of our poor health are political, um, are you suggesting that the remedies must also be political? Oh, absolutely. Um, so if inequality is, in fact, killing us, then how do we deal with inequality? It's killing some of us, Stephen. It's not killing all of us. It's only killing, as you suggested, the poor and the ignorant, who are probably not uh, watching this well, show because we attract the wealthy and the smart. Well, let's look at, for example, uh, 
the range of of uh, life exp- of, of of ages at death. If inequality didn't affect the rich and powerful, surely some of and 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 they have more money, so they're going to be uh, not subject to the ills of poverty. Surely, at some point, uh, we should have the oldest old person at any one time live in America. I mean, we have so much wealth, and uh, and these rich people shouldn't be dying younger. But that's not true. The oldest old person at any one time is never is almost never in this country. But but I take your point about the politics. But if if it is the poor who are dying and the poor don't have a lot of clout in political life, why should the rich care? I mean, isn't there? I don't want to sound like a social Darwinist here because that's a rather unpalatable, politically incorrect notion. But is there an element of Darwinianism here going on that simply these diseases clear out the poor, the ignorant, which uh, is in the nature of, I don't know, biological determinism of one kind or another? So one of the things I try to point out in the book, and this is really very difficult, I said the oldest old don't live here. And if we look at mortality rates at different spec, uh, parts of the age spectrum and compare U.S. black uh, and white mortality rates to uh, the averages in half a dozen other countries, I have a graph displaying this in the book, uh, even our most wealthy are at the poor end of the other six countries. In other words, we really can't say that if you're if you make a lot of money, you're going to escape what I'm saying. You're going to escape an early death. If you now, this is a, a scientific, modern scientific statistical argument, and there's really nothing out there in the science literature that says that American that the health of, of the richest Americans is going to be as good well, as... Stephen, which is the natural political party to address this? We live in an odd political state where the Democrats claim to be speaking on behalf of poor people, but they're not, and they tend to be increasingly dominated by the wealthy, by the coastal elites. The Republicans should be the natural party for your concern, but they're not. So it is the... I take your point that the problem is political, but is the reason why it's not really addressed because of the paradoxical nature of American politics, where the party of the rich, the rich speaks on behalf of the poor and the party of the poor speaks on behalf of the rich? Well, this begs the question of uh, what, who are the Republicans today and who are the Democrats? And, uh, you know, traditionally... The Republicans were the party of big business and the Democrats weren't, but they both become the party of big, of, of big business. There are very few voices out there championing uh, ordinary people. And the issues in the last election uh, were really not those about the rising inequality or the uh, poor outcomes with COVID. I'm talking about the, uh, the most recent election. The only sort of debate was about abortion throughout the country. That was the only sort of political choice that people were speaking on. 
You were uh, yeah, I, I take your point. I, I'm not a great fan, as everybody who listens to this show knows, of Donald Trump. But would it be fair to say that Trump, of all the national politicians, does, for better or worse, speak on behalf of poor white people in this country? Oh, I mean, there may be paradoxes and... Yeah, I mean, he speaks on... ...of hypocrisy, but nonetheless, he, he, he speaks to them and they embrace him. Yes, he speaks to them, but but then he skewers them. I mean, take take his policies. What did they do? The biggest tax cuts uh, went to the rich. So who should we trust? I mean, you're suggesting that the um, you're suggesting that the problem is political. Which politicians uh, do you have faith in who are going to begin to address the fact that inequality kills us all, particularly the poor? Well, uh, at, at one end of the, uh, of the age spectrum is Bernie Sanders. At the other end of the age spectrum would be uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, so they represent uh, perhaps nominally democratic socialists. Let's, you know, what is socialism it's all, all about? It's trying to not advantage some at the expense of others. And, and so... You're trying to turn us into Denmark. You remember that famous, um, uh, uh, Stephen, remember the, 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 the encounter between uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders in the 2016 primaries when um, Bernie was going on and on about Denmark and Hillary turned around and said, look, Bernie, I love Denmark, but we can't be Denmark. Well, what does it mean to be in Denmark? Basically, it means that there are social welfare policies they support people. The other Scandinavian countries do the same. And not unsurprisingly, in measures of happiness or longevity, they're right up there. Remember, there are about 45 or more countries where people have longer lives than we do. And that includes all the other rich countries. And in the latest uh, tally, poorer ones, such as, of course, China, you mentioned, uh, the Czech Republic, Slovenia, Costa Rica. Uh, basically, we, you know, I, I coined the term Health Olympics uh, uh, a couple of decades ago. And if health were an Olympic event and the race was how long you lived, remember, countries compete in the events, we would have been disqualified in the trials. We wouldn't be there for the final heat. So, there's something wrong about living in America as far as health is concerned. You can't find, the only thing we do, the only thing we lead the world in is spending on medical care. We've yeah, how much of this is bound up with the dysfunction? I, again, I'm not, I don't necessarily buy your argument because America remains an extremely innovative, dynamic place. I agree it's profoundly unequal on lots of levels. Uh, but it's certainly more innovative than, I mean, you mentioned Costa Rica. I was just there last week. How much of this is a reflection of just the, we've done so many shows on the dysfunctionality of the American medical system. Well, you should ask the question, how important is healthcare and producing health? We begin by having a problem with our phraseology. We say we access health, pay for health, insure health, get health, when what we're really doing is accessing health care, paying for health care, 
getting health care, ensuring health care. But just because we use the terms interchangeably, we think it's health that produces health care. So ask the question, how much of health can be attributed to consumption of health care? And a study out of Stanford uh, looked at the available evidence uh, and said at most 10% of the uh, of, of health, of production of health could be attributed to health care. Now, I worked as a doctor for 35 years. I worked in Nepal setting up a remote district hospital as a teaching hospital for Nepali doctors, and a whole bunch of other experiences, including being an emergency physician. And it's clear to me that healthcare is a minor player. But in this country, it, people believe it's all you got. And we don't even have it since, you know, somewhere around 50 million people uh, are uninsured or uh, or lack adequate insurance. Let's even stand up. You know, we've done a lot of. I've had many, many conversations with about this, and you're certainly not alone in in, in this argument. But America, for better or worse, is the the system, the political, the medical system in America is simply different from the rest of the world. It doesn't seem likely, at least in the short term, that anything's going to change. It was hard enough to get through Obamacare, which is a a fudge when it comes to the medical system. What can change in the next two to four years? What would you like President Biden to do? What can be done to address the fact that inequality kills us all? Realistically, we can't turn America into Denmark for better or worse. What can happen? Well, in the early 1950s, in, in um, the Health Olympics, we were one of the top five or 10 countries. That is, our length of life was one of the best in the world. What was going on in the United States at that time? Well, we had the highest marginal tax rate was 91% in the 1950s. That is, if you made a million dollars and you made another dollar, 91 cents went to the government. And what did the government do with that money? Well, it spent it on many more policies for the people than we do now. So I think the uh, political choices we have to make are to increase taxation on the rich and spend that money not on more, not more on medical care, but on early life. Because uh, I take your point. So how realistic do you think is raising the tax rate for wealthy people to 91% in the next couple of years? Uh, suppose people suppose people were recognized that uh, other countries were much healthier than they were. But I, I find, uh, Stephen, this argument, it, it only annoys people, particularly Americans. They don't want to be told. They don't want to be preached to by people like you. Oh, well, you need to become like other countries. There has to be another kind of argument. No one wants to be told that they should be more like Denmark. It's annoying. Well, but in 1957, Russia launched Sputnik. And, and suddenly we were aware that another country had done something that we were nowhere close to do. So we set a goal, uh, Kennedy in, in the early 60s, of landing a human on the moon by the end of, uh, of, of the decade. So if Americans become aware of something that they don't have, and are and 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 can be can realize that that would be good for their stature in the world. 
they'll rally behind it. I mean, we are getting close to uh, uh, an anniversary of the uh, of the moon landing and uh, of the last moon landing, uh, and maybe that could be the appropriate goal. Suppose we should uh, uh, be healthier than Slovenia or Costa Rica. We need to set a goal and work towards it. And most of us didn't understand any of the rocket science that uh, got us to the moon. Uh, we trusted others to do that, but we had the goal in mind. So if Americans were aware that they could live much longer, healthier lives if we change the inequality in this country, that's what chapter 10 is about. It's creating awareness of, of how to do that then I think that they would want to live longer, healthier lives.